We're glad to have you here this morning at Veritas Community Church. My name is JJ. I'm one of the pastors here, the pastors of City Groups. Uh, if, this, if this is your first time here, I'm not normally the guy that's preaching, um, but we are glad you are with us. Um, this morning, we are going to conclude the Beatitudes in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read verses 10 through 12. And if you don't have a Bible, there are some paperback Bibles back there on the table. And in those Bibles, you can find it on page 472. All right. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For the glory of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So as I mentioned already this morning, we are in the eighth and final beatitude in Jesus' introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, and it is quite possibly the hardest to come, come to grips with. After all, you would think that a person who is poor in spirit, mournful, meek, merciful, and, and peaceable would be someone that the world would embrace. But Jesus doesn't say that, though. Instead, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. If we are viewing the Beatitudes as a picture of the Christian disciple, then persecution is one of many brushstrokes. In fact, you could say it's something that we can assume is going to happen as a Christian and so that we can fully grasp what Jesus is saying, let me remind you that this word makarios, which we've been talking about for the past few weeks, which is translated in the ESV as blessed, more fully means happy and blissful, fortunate or flourishing. And the Beatitudes are these macarisms, these statements of, of blessing uh, are statements that ascribe happiness or flourishing to a particular person or state. It is a pronouncement based on an observation that a certain way of being in the world produces human, human flourishing. So living a life in which you are persecuted is living a blessed and flourishing life. I know that kind of seems backwards, doesn't it? Well, this morning we are going to go through our passage looking at three different things, the cause of persecution, the response of the persecuted, and the reward of the persecuted. 
the cause of persecution, the response of the persecuted, and the reward of the persecuted. Let's begin with the cause of persecution. It may seem strange that Jesus would pass from blessed are the peacemakers to blessed are those who are persecuted, going from the work of reconciliation to the experience of hostility. Yet however hard we may try to make peace with some people, they refuse to live in peace with us. The word translated here as persecuted means to pursue in a hostile manner, to in any way harass or trouble or molest. To be persecuted means to be mistreated on, on the account of something. The crowds sitting around Jesus here on the mount wouldn't have been strangers to persecution. During the life of Jesus, the Jewish people were under the authority and the rule of the Roman Empire. More than likely, they would have experienced some form of persecution from their Roman rulers. In fact, in in the New American Standard Bible, that, that translation, it translates this beatitude as, blessed are those who have been persecuted. But this type of persecution in which Jesus is speaking of here is caused for a specific reason. Jesus mentions two causes for this persecution, for those living the flourishing life. First is for righteousness, and secondly, because of him. The first cause of persecution that Jesus talks about and says is living a flourishing life are those who are living righteous lives. Living a godly and faithful life will bring about some form of mistreatment or trouble. This this should not be surprising to us as followers of Jesus, especially if we're reading and treasuring God's word and truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Think about the other Beatitudes and how antithetical they are to the world's thinking and way of living. The Beatitudes are a silent opposition of the sinful sinful lifestyles that we see in a fallen world around us. This way of life will be received with resentment and mistreatment. In 1 Peter 4, verses 3 and 4, Peter explains this very, very well. He writes to the church, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the pagans want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. The first century doesn't sound too different from the 21st century, does it? Those who follow the way of Jesus are people who fight for sexual purity, reject the idea that the only way to enjoy life is through getting wasted on the weekends, and who practice the fruit of the Spirit, such as self-control. The way of righteous living will surprise the world around you, 
that you are not joining in with them in their sinful ways. They will feel judged by you when all you're trying to do is to live a life of righteousness. And that will bring about insults and taunting at best and even more extreme forms of persecution at worst. The world has rejected the Christ that you seek to follow. The British pastor John Stott puts it, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. Matthew 15, 19 says that the human heart in its natural state is corrupt and loves sin. Because of that, it will cause those who reject righteousness to hate and hurt those who pursue it. The second cause of persecution that Jesus mentions is because of him. Jesus himself was a controversial figure in his day as well as now. His claims and his teachings stirred the rage of some of his hearers that they accused him of being in league with Beelzebub, identified him as the same, and attempted to stone him and ultimately murdered him in the most brutal way. Jesus warned his disciples that they could expect similar treatment. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 22 and 25, Jesus says, And you will be hated by all for my sake. If they have called, you, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? On my account is roughly the equivalent to because of me. And the way that it is constructed, this, this, the way that this sentence is constructed shows a highly significant view of who Jesus is, specifically in his lordship. The phrase, on account of me, is likely an expression meaning on account of your confession of me. On a, uh, since Jesus warned that many would come in his name and claim, I am the Messiah, the name to which Jesus referred in the gospel is likely a messianic title. Since Luke 6, uses the corresponding words, because of the Son of Man, the Son of Man title may have been the particular cause of offense. That this title identified Jesus as the king of heavenly origin who would reign over a universal and eternal kingdom and who is worthy of worship by all peoples of the earth. This claim was regarded as blasphemous by the Jewish leadership. The disciples' continuing affirmation of Jesus' heavenly origin and eternal kingship guaranteed ongoing Jewish opposition towards them. And you know what? This, this claim remains scandalous today. 
Most people in the world around us are willing to recognize Jesus as a good moral teacher. But insistence on exclusive claims of Christianity, particularly the confession of Jesus as God, Savior and King, remains offensive. We must be willing to follow Christ faithfully and boldly affirm his identity despite the cost. And and in verse 11, Jesus mentions three different expressions of persecution that his disciples would experience. First, he mentions that others will revile you. And what that means is that opponents of Christian righteousness and the gospel will disparage and mock and verbally shame Jesus' disciples. The verb reviles appears later in Matthew to describe the insults hurled at Jesus while he was suffering on the cross. The insults included the mockery of Jesus' power to save, his identity as the king of Israel, and his divine sonship. Later persecutors used clever word plays. Uh, I thought this was really interesting, designed both to insult and to evoke a laugh in their mockery of Jesus' claims. Now hear this, Jesus was recognized by early Christians and us today as the son of a virgin because of the virginal conception described in both Luke 1 and Matthew 1. But by rearranging the Greek letters, the word virgin, which is parthenos, those opponents later who opposed Christianity mocked Jesus and his disciples as the son of a panther or panthera. I thought that was really interesting that they switched those words around and hurled them back and laughed at Jesus' disciples. And you know what? Today, many opponents of Jesus' disciples continue to ridicule them. TV sitcoms mention Jesus only as the basis for some irreverent or blasphemous joke and typically portray Christians as narrow-minded naive, or mentally ill. And this includes one of my favorite shows of all time, and probably some of yours as well, Parks and Recreation. On the show, there's a reoccurring character. Her name is Marsha Langman. And she was a part of the Society for Family Stability Foundation. And if you can just picture her, her character was uptight, no fun, and extremely narrow-minded. She dressed extremely modestly and was not loving at all. She fit all the stereotypes of how the world views Christians. Her character made me laugh at just how ridiculous it made Christians out to be, but she also made me cringe for the same reasons. And while it may seem funny to us, It is a modern-day insult towards those who refuse to take part in the sinful ways of the world. Uh, This word persecute, again, in in verse 11 means to run after or pursue or run out. Although the term could refer to any form of harassment, Matthew 23, 34 uses this verb in a literal sense to describe the persecutors chasing after Jesus' followers from town to town. 
The verb may mean to pursue someone in hopes of apprehending him with the intention to either violently abuse them or to turn them over to the authorities for prosecution. And what this text brings together with such a pursuit is that with, it will bring killing and the crucifying and scourging of Jesus' followers. Although violent persecution is rare in the United States, it is common in other parts of the world. By some estimates, more believers suffered martyrdom in the 20th century than all previous centuries combined. And we're seeing a continuation of that into the 21st. Dana, thank you for your prayer earlier this morning. There are many people who are suffering and being persecuted for righteousness' sake in the world today. And we need to remember them as we pray. But another reason that Jesus says that they will come under persecution are utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. And what that means is that the persecutors will slander the disciples and raise false accusations against them. During the first three centuries of the church, Christians were accused of many, many things. Cannibalism, incest, atheism, and general hatred of humanity. Such accusations were horrible, horrible distortions of what actually took place in a Christian gathering and in the Christian church. The charge of cannibalism, cannibalism probably related to the celebration of the Lord's Supper, which is something that we still do today. The charge of incest was probably related to the early church referring to their spouses as brothers and sisters in Christ. The charge of atheism was related to the Christian's rejection, to the, uh, to the Christian's refusal of the gods of the Roman pantheon. And the charge of general hate, hatred of humanity related to the Christian's refusal to follow society and its immoral practices. Some of these accusations were probably not merely confused interpretations of misunderstood Christian practices, but what was actually probably taking place is that they were deliberately distorting what was happening so that they could tear down and make a bad name for the church. So that is the cause of persecution. Moving to the response of the persecuted, Jesus commanded his disciples to respond to persecution with joy and gladness. He says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Be glad means to enjoy a state of happiness and well-being. Rejoice is similar in meaning, but it's even more intense. The word speaks of being overjoyed or extremely joyful. And typically such intense joy was ex outwardly expressed, either through words or tears or skipping or jumping. When I think of that, I think of 
my daughters skipping down the road when they see a friend. Uh, I think of, of people cheering for their sports teams and somebody scoring a big basket or, or scoring a goal and people jumping out of their chairs, screaming and jumping. That is the type of intense joy that rejoicing is talking about. As Christians, we are not to retaliate like an unbeliever, nor are we to sulk like a child or lick our wounds in self-pity like a dog. And you know what? We're not to enjoy it either. No, we are to rejoice as Christians should rejoice. This joy is not a belated response to the persecutions that occur after insults have ceased to sting or the nerves torn by the stripes on one's back have ceased to scream. This joy characterizes the disciple even as the insults are hurled and scourge lacerates the flesh. Such immediate joy in the face of persecution characterized the apostles in Acts 5, verses 40 through 41. And it says, And when they, or the Sanhedrin, had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now listen here. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now this flogging, this beating that was incurred by the apostles, carried out by the Sanhedrin, it, it, it had 39 lashes attached to it. This torture was horrific and sometimes led to death. However, as the apostles walked out of that meeting with their backs still raw, and with their clothes rubbing against those open wounds, they rejoiced for having the honor of suffering for their Savior. Their behavior offers a powerful illustration of joy in the face of persecution. The suffering which come, or the joy which comes from suffering for righteousness' sake are medals. Of honor. One thing, as I was reflecting on this passage, I had a conversation years ago with a guy in, a, in my house church where we were talking about this passage in particular, and he said, look, the, they were happy that they got beat. They were happy that they experienced this. And I told him, brother, no, it doesn't say that they were happy. It says that they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to share in Christ's sufferings. They didn't go out looking for them. They were being obedient and living righteous lives. And that was, that was upsetting the Jewish leaders. And so they were beat. So this doesn't mean that we have to en enjoy and go seek out persecution, but our lives should be that, that we are oozing righteousness, Christ-likeness to the world around us, and that's going to cause some type of tension. 
Jesus' command to be overjoyed leaves no room for a martyr complex that prompts the persecuted to wallow in self-pity. Joy and celebration are the disciples' response for a suffering Christ. And lastly, our reward of the persecuted. Jesus pronounced that the kingdom of heaven is the reward for those who suffer for righteousness. The kingdom belongs to righteous sufferers and to them alone. Those who compromise the teaching of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount in order to escape persecution are not true disciples and will not have a share in the kingdom because true disciples are willing to follow Jesus even at the cost of their very lives. Jesus says it himself in Matthew 16, 24, and 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The kingdom of heaven is the reign of God in the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Righteous sufferers are subjects of God's rule through the submission to Jesus' authority here on earth. This kingdom has been inaugurated in the ministry of Jesus, but it will be consummated when he comes again, bringing enormous blessing to those who follow Jesus. Those who have been oppressed and persecuted will be exalted to a place of authority and privilege when the kingdom comes again in its fullness. You'll notice that both the first and eighth Beatitudes offer the promise that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These two identical promises serve as brackets for the Beatitudes and mark them as, a liter- as literary unity. This implies that Poverty and spirit and righteous suffering and all the characteristics described between are hallmarks of a single group, Jesus' followers. Disciples of Jesus manifest each of these characteristics and enjoy all the promised blessings that come with it. Jesus also promises in, in verse 12, Your reward is great in heaven. The severity of the penalty suffered for faithfulness to Jesus will be offset by the overwhelmingness, the overwhelmingness of the reward enjoyed in heaven. Jesus did not specify the nature of this reward. However, because of the divine reversals that appear in all the rest of the Beatitudes, such as the poor will reign, the mourners will be comforted, the hungry will be filled, and so on, One expects the reward to involve the reversal of persecution suffered. Human insult will be replaced by divine commendation. Human rejection and harassment will be replaced by divine acceptance and favor. Earthly punishment will be replaced by eternal bliss. This reward will be so great that the earthly suffering will pair in comparison to what is to come. And Paul writes to the Roman church, and he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with all the glory that is to be revealed to us. We may lose everything 
here on earth, but we shall inherit everything in heaven. The disciples could be assured of heavenly reward for their sufferings because their righteous suffering, because of the righteous sufferings of the Old Testament prophets, the representatives of Israel's faithful and righteous remnant. All throughout the, New Test- or the Old Testament, Jewish leaders rejected and persecuted these prophets. And Jesus repeatedly commends them, commended this persecution in Matthew's gospel. And, and catch this, by treating Jesus' followers in the same way that they treated the prophets, Jewish persecutors would unwittingly bestow on them a prophet's honor. So they were, in fact, doing something completely opposite to what they were trying to do. The prophets were not only spokesmen for God, they were also guardians of righteousness and models of faithfulness. They were the cream of the crop in the Old Testament. And Jesus' followers now stood in line with the prophets. Although Jesus here equated the disciples with the prophets, he later insisted that his disciples had surpassed the prophets since they had seen and heard the fulfillments of the Old Testament prophecies. So what? What is, what is all this matter to us. We live in America where Christians have the right to assemble and gather and worship how they want. We're doing that this morning. Nobody came up to us and said, hey, we need you to follow this guideline. Otherwise, we're going to kick you out. And you know what? For most, for most, everybody lives in peace with one another and some form of peace. How does this beatitude about persecution apply for us today? Surely we're not watching over our shoulder, fearing that we are going to be run out of town for our beliefs. I certainly don't walk around my neighborhood that way. We don't live in fear that we are going to have to die for being a Christian. Not, not here, not Not now, at least. I would like to ask some questions of application and as we close, maybe draw some things out within your heart. First, what, if anything, is causing you to be persecuted? Are you living a righteous life And receiving persecution because of that. Remember that persecution just isn't necessarily being beaten or killed. Are you being mocked for your faith? People insulting you because of what you believe. Just because we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave doesn't mean that people will stop coming at you for living a life worthy of the cause of Christ. And you know what? As I was thinking about this, I was trying to remember some of these times. And I'll be honest with you. They're kind of few and far between. 
So if you aren't, and this, this obviously applies to me as well, are we truly living lives worthy of suffering? Are we living righteous lives? This beatitude says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And blessed are you when others, when others revile you. There's an assumption that this is going to come at some point. If, if we truly are living a righteous life. Secondly, what is our response when we do face persecution? Do we respond like the apostles did and rejoice that we are counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus? Or do we retaliate like an unbeliever? We go and sit in a corner and, and sulk like one of our children. My hope is that we all respond with joy and with glad hearts because as Paul says in Romans 5.3 and Later on in 2 Corinthians 12.10, he says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do we rejoice? Are we glad when we do face some form of persecution. Lastly, do we delight in the reward that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake? Do we delight in the knowledge that theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Jesus went to the cross and was violently executed for living in a completely obedient life. If we share in his sufferings, then surely we will share in his reward. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Our reward in heaven is great. We will see our God face to face and reign with Jesus for all of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Are we delighting in the reward for those who face persecution for righteousness' sake? Now, as we, my hope is, is that as we've gone through the Beatitudes, that you've been given this beautiful picture of the flourishing life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. This picture as the Christian on their knees before God, acknowledging their spiritual poverty and mourning over it. They are meek and gentle in all their relationships. They turn from sin and hunger and thirst for righteousness. They enter into the mess of those who are suffering and seek to ease their burden by being merciful to others. They are pure in heart and seek to be a peace doer in all situations. And even though they will face opposition, they continue to follow Jesus gladly and faithfully. Why? 
because they know that their reward is great and their Savior is even greater. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we go out of here today, that you would cause us to reflect upon your word as we look at this description of a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, that we would truly look into each one of them and ask ourselves, is this true of me? Lord, we pray that when we do come across a form of persecution, whether it be false accusations or being mocked or beatings or death, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit inside of us would strengthen us and help us to remain bold and that we would rejoice that we were counted worthy to suffer dishonor on the count of Christ. Lord, it is far from our power to be able to do that. We need you every hour. We rest on you, O Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.